either in your Bible, your scripture sheet, or whatever you can do, let's locate Luke chapter 5. I, uh, I love to preach about the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this passage gives me an opportunity to do exactly that. We're going to read the first 11 verses as we get started today. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. One familiar hymn says, I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat what, what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. And that's how I feel about Luke chapter 5. I've read it numerous times, but it never fails to stir me. Let's see if we can enter into the dynamics of the situation described before us. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's referred to mostly here as Simon, but I'm going to speak of him as Peter, the name the Lord gave him later in his life. But put yourself in Simon Peter's shoes, those mud-caked sandals on the shore of Galilee. Let's enter his world because you have a need today. Did you know that? You need to feel what Peter felt. You need to see what Peter saw. You need to hear what Peter heard. To feel what he felt, we must picture again the scene that's described in our passage. Verse 1 tells us it was by the lake of Gennesaret. This is another name for the Sea of Galilee, the great fishing area in northern Palestine. It's a beautiful area. And verse 1 says it came about while the multitudes were pressing around him. Jesus had attracted a huge crowd. He was the talk of the whole region. And the masses thronged to see him and hear him. In fact, the people were pushing and squeezing, trying to get as close as possible to hear and see this man. It's a scene like you find today, maybe with rock stars and famous athletes. But verse 1 says that they were listening to the word of Jesus. Well, is that exactly what it says? What does it say? It says they were listening to the words of God. Jesus spoke it, yes, but what came out of his mouth they were not simply the words of a Nazarene preacher, but of God Almighty. Jesus spoke with authority, and His words drew such attention that the masses crowded Jesus out into the water. Jesus saw a couple of boats along the shore, and He used those to put a little distance between Himself and His hearers so that they could see Him and hear Him better. Jesus, remember, was a teacher, but He was more as we shall see. Verse 4 says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. 
but at your bidding I will let down the nets. Now we can't be real sure how Peter actually said this, but I detect there was likely a note of agitation in his voice. After all, he and his crew had fished all night and had caught nothing. Peter was a professional fisherman. He probably was thinking, come on, Jesus, they just are not biting. And if they don't bite at night, they're not going to bite during the day. I mean, who is this carpenter preacher telling Peter, the professional fisherman, how to fish? Oh, he preaches a nice sermon, but what does he know about fishing? To do this seems to Peter foolish. It makes no sense, humanly speaking. So Peter faced the same question you and I often face. Will I follow the way of human wisdom or heed the voice of divine authority? We struggle with that too. Some of God's commands, frankly, don't make much sense to you. I know they sometimes don't make sense to me. You're prone to think, what does Jesus know about economic realities? Or what does God know about the hectic pace of modern life? Well, Peter probably lived in the awareness of Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Even with a tone of agitation, Simon does obey. Verse 5, he says, Master, at your bidding I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Wow. Tremendous story. This is a miracle, no question about it. The disciples had seen Jesus heal. They had seen him cast out demons. But this one really blew their minds. And, and what do you think Peter did? Well, what would you do? You, you'd have a contract in front of Jesus in no time, I expect. Sign this guy up. Get him on our team. We'll give him half the proceeds. He's the greatest fisherman in the world. Oh, no. Peter's reaction is so very different and so spontaneous. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. By now, Jesus was kind of used to people not wanting him around, but this was a new reason. What did Peter feel? Well, he seems to have felt his own wretchedness. He felt vile. He felt himself losing his cool. He was coming unglued. He was falling apart at the seams. This Jesus revealed to Peter what he had never seen, which was the sinfulness the evil of his own heart and his own life. And he says, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm a sinner, Peter says. Now, many today would have stepped in and said, no, 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 Peter, don't, don't say that. You need some self-respect. You need to love yourself, affirm your worth. One famous author actually wrote this, Christian author. He says, the most serious sin is the one that causes me to say I am unworthy. I may have no claim to divine sonship if you examine me at my worst. For once a person believes he is an unworthy sinner, it is doubtful if he can really honestly accept the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. Wow, that, my friend, that's not biblical faith. According to Scripture, Peter is in just the right position and saying just the right things for a man to be saved. A relationship with God requires such a recognition of personal sinfulness. The first membership vow that folks take when they become members of our church is that I, I acknowledge myself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope of salvation apart from His mercies. Absolutely. Why is that? Well, Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus says something very interesting that we dare not forget. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Another translation, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Being a sinner, knowing it, is the first qualification for being in the church of Christ. But folks today in the church and out the church, out of the church are taught pretty much this, I'm okay, you're okay. Whatever happened to sin, it went out with the horse and the buggy. But don't tell Paul, or I mean Peter that. He, he knew. He knew that he was unclean. He knew that he was in danger of the condemnation of God. Do you know that you are in and of yourself a sinner and a person, therefore, in trouble? On the television show 60 Minutes years ago, Mike Wallace did an interview with a man named Yehiel Dinur, who was a concentration camp survivor. A Jewish man testified against Adolf Eichmann in the Nuremberg trials. And Mike Wallace prefaced the interview with the question of Dinur, how is it possible that someone could do what Eichmann did? Eichmann was the architect, principal architect of the uh, Holocaust. And Wallace asked the question, was he a monster or a madman or something even more terrifying? Was he normal? And in the uh, 60 Minutes interview, Wallace showed a film clip from the 1961 Nuremberg trials, and the clip shows Denier walking into the courtroom, stopping for a moment to look at Eichmann for the first time since the Nazi leader had sent him to Auschwitz 18 years prior. And when he looked at Eichmann, Denier began to sob uncontrollably and then actually fainted in the courtroom. What was going on? What was Denier overcome by hatred, by fear, by Horrid memories? No, no. Denier explained to Wallace that all at once he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who sent so many to their deaths. Denier said this, I saw that I am capable of this. I am exactly like he. Mike Wallace later summed it up by saying, Eichmann is in all of us. This is what keen believers have always felt. Moses felt it. David felt it. John felt it. You read the stories of George Whitfield and Robert Murray Machine and John Wesley, David Brainerd, John Newton, Jonathan Edwards, men especially who lived during the great historic revivals. They all had a keen sense of personal sinfulness. Catch some of the uh, excerpts from the diary of David Brainerd, and he writes, I am made to possess the dreadful sin of my own nature, I am all sin. I cannot think and act, but all is sin. I saw myself to be very mean and vile and wondered at those who show me respect. I, never, I think I never so much felt the cursed pride of my heart as well as the stubbornness of my will. Oh, dreadful. Oh, what a vile wretch I am. C.S. Lewis of more modern times, a man of literary genius from a very different cultural context maybe than Brainerd, said that when he first examined his own life, his own heart, he said, I found what appalled me, a zoo of lust, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Now, what I've described in Lewis and Brainerd and Peter is, is really the great need of every soul. It is what Luke calls the repentance that leads to life. Indeed, it is the, the great work of God in a soul that allows us to perceive that we have violated the law of a holy God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would come and convict men of sin. But it is just this, this awareness of personal evil that is missing in so many today. The hardest part, often, of evangelism is just to convince someone of the seriousness of their sin. 
Now, I've only met one man that actually claimed to have never sinned, but I've met plenty of people who admit that they've sinned but don't think that's a big deal at all. They say, of course I've sinned. Everybody's a sinner, but I'm probably better than most. There's no fear of judgment, no longing for a Savior. I mean, who needs a Savior? The unbeliever does not normally and naturally feel what Peter felt. Same with many churchgoers. If we did feel what Peter felt, we would live in overflowing gratitude for the one who saved us. And so we need, oh, how we need to feel as Peter felt. But there's only one thing that can give us that. And that's our transition to point two. You need to see what Peter saw. What Peter felt was conviction. What he saw was a holy God. When Peter realized what Jesus had done, when he saw that this man ruled over the fish, something clicked in his mind. He realized that he was in the presence, not only of the greatest prophet the world had ever seen, not only the greatest teacher mankind had ever heard, not only the most remarkable miracle worker the Jews had ever encountered, he was in the presence of God. And, and he fell to his knees and he said, I am a sinner, O Lord. I'm convinced that the reason we don't take sin seriously is that we don't know who God is. The reason Paul did, or Peter did, was because he learned about God. He is a holy God. There is in His presence a feeling of helplessness, a disintegration of the personality. You come unglued. You fall apart at the seams. Why? What makes God's presence so scary? We can learn this by studying the Scriptures, looking at the accounts of those who did encounter God. And the major characteristic of the fear they experienced upon seeing God is this conviction of sin, an overwhelming sense of moral uncleanness and filth. Job chapter 42, for example, there he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore I retract and repent in dust and ashes. Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John says, In the middle of the lampstands there was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And here John gets this vision of the exalted Jesus in his glory. And what is his reaction? The next verse, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Oh, my friend, if you but see Jesus as he really is, this will be your reaction too. There can be no pride in his presence. Now, you may think you stack up well with other people, but the standard of our conduct, it's not your neighbor. It is Jesus himself. Oswald Chambers writes this, If you saw a sheep in summer, you would say it was white. But see it against the backdrop of startling virgin snow, and it looks like a blot on the landscape. If we judge ourselves by one another, we do not feel condemned. But immediately, Jesus Christ is in the background. His life, His language, His looks, His labors, we feel judged instantly. End quote from Brother Chambers. Isaiah 6 is another 
place where we read of a sinner encountering the Lord, seeing the Lord indeed. Remember Isaiah has seen the Lord lofty and exalted on His throne. Seraphim are crying out in that passage in Isaiah 6, and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out. The temple was filling with smoke. I mean, what an experience Isaiah had. You can imagine what he was thinking as he observed all this, what, what he realized this would do for his career as a prophet, the books he could write, the interviews he could give. Isaiah must have been thrilled, right? Not at all. Verse 5, in fact, says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is, this is the trauma of holiness. This is disintegration. This is conviction. No longer can this man excuse his language or his gossip or his cutting words. He has seen the Holy King, and he sees his own sin and all of its ugliness. You know, men would never invent or imagine a God who is holy like that. But some men do discover him, and this is their response to God's holiness. When you see what John saw, Job saw, Isaiah saw, Simon Peter saw, you will feel what they felt. The vision of God, of Christ, is the crying need of the hour, and our problem is ignorance, it is blindness. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says, The God of this world (coughs) has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All testify that that when there is a spiritual awakening, when God comes to remove the scales which cover men's eyes, there is an intense awareness of the presence and thus the holiness, thus the power of God. Revivals are marked by a great mourning over sin because they are times when God is freshly revealed to the hearts and minds of men, You read the story of those events, you'll see what I mean by that. Billy Graham was once asked after a successful evangelistic campaign, is this revival? And Graham said, no, when revival comes, I expect to see two things that we are yet to see. First, a new sense of the holiness of God, and secondly, a new sense of our sinfulness. The two go hand in hand. Charles Wesley wrote, Just and holy is thy name, I am all unrighteousness. You will feel what Peter felt when you see what Peter saw, Christ in His glory. It is possible, and I pray that you would see it. It's possible because of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown, does shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Back now to Luke chapter 5. Peter saw it. Peter saw the glory of God in the face of Christ, and it blew him away. Pride is gone. He falls and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Now, other people had asked Jesus to leave. How does Simon Peter differ? Well, Peter isn't saying here, Jesus, I, I know you're God, but I really don't want to be disturbed right now, or please leave. You'll ruin my reputation. But the trauma of holiness is here, and he says, I am unworthy, Lord, to be in your holy presence. The request, interestingly, is the same, but the motive is entirely different, and so, therefore, was the response of Jesus. Peter had fallen apart. Jesus puts him back together again. So just as you feel, need to feel what Peter felt and see what Peter saw, you also, dear brother and sister, need to hear what Peter heard. Jesus said this to Simon. Do not fear. 
Do not fear, Peter. I'm holy, but I am full of mercy. I love you. And then in verse 10, we encounter this amazing word where he says, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. You will be catching men. Isaiah was called as a prophet right after he was humbled in God's presence. The same thing happens for brother Peter. Peter saw Christ in his holy power. He felt convicted of his sin, but then he heard his master's call to serve. That's the way our God works. He uses a man just when he is bowed down and broken at the feet of Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill says God only uses broken things. Now that connects us to last week's message, by the way, from Psalm 51 about brokenness and the communion service that we shared together, at least those in the live service did. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. His body was broken. Here Peter is broken and thus made ready to fish for men. And Peter did catch a lot of men. His Pentecost sermon, just that one message led to 3,000 who came into the net of the gospel and praised God. There is no limit when you fish for men. God calls you, Christian, to fish as well. It's an honor to throw out that net, to pray for a catch. It's an honor, a privilege to join Simon Peter and serve the Lord. Some, and maybe you felt it at times to be a drudgery. Peter did not because he knew the Christ he served. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, and the world needs servants for the Lord. Christ called Peter to that. Christ calls you to that. You need to feel what Peter felt, having seen what Peter saw, and then you need to hear what Peter heard. Verse 11 of our story says, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Might it not be proper for us also to do what Peter did? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Holy God, we pray that you would enable us this day to get some measure, some glimpse of your holiness, your glory, your awesome power that puts us in our place, that convicts us of our sin, that melts us before you. And then, Lord, let us hear your voice that speaks peace through the merits of Jesus and his atonement on our behalf to our hearts, our needy hearts. And then, Lord, we long to hear as well your call to follow you and to follow you in ministry and in service in the way of your particular appointment for our lives. So God grace us in all these ways that we would feel what Peter felt, having seen what he has seen, having heard what he has heard, and then Lord we intend to do as he did. Make our lives a prayer and a blessing to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.